You're listening to the Kingdom Flow Podcast. I'm Kyle Jones. And I'm Ian Sperry. Now more than ever, we're in a time where Christians need to rise up. Business owners and corporate executives have a great opportunity to capture hearts by living out their faith, holding the line that's being challenged every day. Listen in as we work to uncover ways to help you live your life by design and challenge the norm by breaking down barriers and truly encouraging you to go all in on your faith. Also, don't forget to leave a review and subscribe to the show on the platform of your choice. Let's go. Lord Jesus, we are grateful to be back here recording another episode to uh, just really just give you all glory and honor with this and, and grateful for Lindsay to be joining us here we ask that you just anoint this conversation and just take it in the direction that um, that you would want us to take it. We love you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 So that would be Lindsay Jones. Lindsay Jones. Hello. I guess this technically makes her probably our first repeating guest. That would be true. Is that... Does that mean I'm the most sought after? Yes. It's well, it was hard to uh, nail you down. I mean, you know, we're having to record this on a special day where you have a day off. So this is, this is all for you. I couldn't get in touch with your people, but <laughs> you know, you ghosted me and I just uh, continued to pursue you. And, you know, much like I won you over when, when I, when, let me be clear, when I decided it was time to relation, <laughs> relationship with you, um, you know, I broke down some barriers of some boyfriends and, you know, broke some jaws. I did. You stole me. I did. I did. We kind of told that story a little bit. I, I touched on it where, you know, I was playing a little hard to get. I told you the Michaela story with me. I don't, I, I'm sure I remember. Oh, dude. Michaela <laughs> left her boyfriend of four years and came out and smoochy smoochy in the car with me in the 10th grade, 11th grade. Okay. So I stole... Three kids later. Lucky lady. Yeah. Lucky lady. So, yeah, while she's dating this guy, she snuck out and, like, yes. went to the parking lot and... No, came to my house on Wilson Road. Mm. Just, yeah. just gave you a little peck? Just gave us a little kiss. <laughs> it was sweet and innocent. Was there tongue involved? <laughs> Michaela. <laughs> yeah. She's back. It doesn't get embarrassed too much. No. Your face is turning red. Oh, it's okay. Yeah. Well, what's funny is the first time that we actually, well, not the first time, we had already been dating a little while. Mm -hmm. Lindsay had just graduated and um, you moved back to Houston because you got a job in, in the Kingwood area, which is north part of Houston. And so, you know, she's started working. She's already, you know, mind you too, she's, she just graduated. So she's 23. Mm -hmm. She is working as a teacher of, of sophomores and freshmen in high school. Oh, gee. I didn't know that. So she's like four years older than some of these kids, um, three maybe in some cases. But it was, it was very, um, how do you say it? It was, there was, they were very close in age. Mm -hmm. Like, like after witnessing this, I can see why there are some, you know, teacher student relationships out there, why that's probably pretty common among oh, a lot especially <laughs> louisiana it's like a real thing yeah okay? it's, it's yeah. a real thing yeah but but so i i was taking her lunch one day and this is also when i used to shave my head and so um i looked i looked like a lot older than i do now so that's why i grew it out because now people think i'm still like you know 20 29 yeah 
30, younger than you. But uh, I shaved my head. And so um, I went to check in and in the front office and Lindsay comes over there too. And so she's like meeting me in the front office with the receptionist desk. And this lady's just like looking at me. She's like eyeing me, like not like in a, like I'm checking you out way. It's like, what are you up to? <laughs> and so she finally was like, um, we don't let uh, boyfriends come eat with students. And I'm like, what? And then she's like, I'm a teacher. <laughs> let me let me clarify this story. Boyfriend was not the word she used. It was dad. Oh, dad. dad. Yes. <laughs> I forgot about that. I forgot about that. We don't let daddies. Yeah, we don't let parents. That's what she said. It wasn't, I've missed it. We don't let parents come eat with students. <laughs> she was like, I'm a teacher. <laughs> so then it just completely changed. And, you know, here we are. That's awesome. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. But um, thanks for coming back on. Yeah. I think, um, you know, we wanted to bring you back on for uh, a couple specific reasons. I mean, number one, I think you're obviously in a leadership position. So we talked to a lot of people who are in leadership positions who um, are also, you know, big in the faith and and really try to bring the two worlds together. Um, but I think, too, there's something that I think God revealed to me that, hey, I think it would be good to bring some awareness to what has taken place in just the education space as a whole. And, you know, there, obviously there is a faith component to it because that's where we're rooted, but um, just education in general has really changed over the last few years since your days at, at Kingwood Park High School when, when, you know, we were just so in love, you know, pre-marriage and you couldn't keep your hands off me and we're you know, still in we, love, I thought. <laughs> well, for sure. But, um, you know, it, that was that was in 2009. Here we are in 2023. And so the education space has has changed quite a bit, just just even in the last, um, you know, several years since you've been in those space. And, and so you have seen it from multiple lenses. You've been at the high school level. You've been at the junior high level as a teacher. Uh, you've been at the elementary level as a teacher. And now you're an administrator, um, as Ian would say, a vice principal. Vice principal. At uh, elementary school. And so you bring, I think, a, a good well-roundedness that, um, you know, as I was thinking about that, I was like, oh, yeah. I mean, I might be able to get Lindsay on the podcast it's, again. It's going to be difficult. It's going to be a stretch. But <laughs> we'll beg. <laughs> so thankfully, we're here. And so, and I think, um, you know, why is it important to do that? I think, you know, we'll get into that, but, um, more than anything, like we talk a, a lot about this is when there's an awareness, now it becomes more of like, okay, I need to pay attention to this. And, and I, I, I can't just be asleep at the wheel and not, not be paying attention to what's happening. Even if your kids are arguably out of grade school and, you know, college or, or older, um, you know, the, the social impact of, of school and education in our community is just critical to a, the existence of life, yeah. arguably. So we'll pause. You really haven't said much other than just laughing, but um, give us your perspective on, you know, from the time that you got in education back in 2009 as a, as a completely innocent teacher to like what's changing Ravenous now? Ravenous vice principal. <laughs> to, 
what what has changed what's changed like and it could get, take that any direction you want i just like and then you know of course i've got some questions from there but what has changed over the last several years Man, I think there's so many things that have changed and there's so many directions that this conversation could go in. So I'll just kind of highlight um, higher level a couple of them and then you can take it wherever you want to take it. But I would say that um, parent involvement has changed. I would say that um, parents are now more hands off holistically, but then daggers come out when certain incidences happen. So I think that's kind of a defense mechanism because they're really not as involved holistically as they were 10, 15 years ago. But when something happens that doesn't sit right with them, um, I think they're much quicker to um, make a a rash statement or cause a scene or um, go to the district about something. Um, so I think parent involvement's different. I think um, Technology is a huge um, reason that we've seen a lot of change in education. And, you know, 15 years ago, technology was a thing, but it wasn't so readily available to all of our kids. And so now what we were protecting against as parents um, 15 years ago is just so readily available to all of our students now. And it you know, it takes one kid for um, the entire school to have exposure to something that you wouldn't be comfortable with your own child having exposure to. I think um, the political state of our country has crossed over completely between um, the, the lines have been blurred between school and um, politics, and everyone feels like their opinion um, is important. And I think um, we've allowed those opinions to kind of dictate the way that we um, do education now um, because people are scared to do the wrong thing. People are scared to commit to um, taking a stance as a district. Um, I think the expectation on teachers from the state is exorbitantly higher than it was 15 years ago. So these are just all kind of you know, broad topics of things that have changed in the last 15 years. And we can go deeper into any of those that you want to. Yeah. I mean, I think that that first issue that you highlighted, uh, parent involvement, and then the follow-up was, hey, but when there is an issue, they jump in and they're like, you know, wouldn't be my child kind of deal. I think that at a broader level, when I hear that, I think just there's the entitlement mentality that has just slowly crept in across all demographics, all aspects of life, all, you know, everything. I mean, have you seen that? And do you feel like that is true in the case where you, you see this entitlement that is more prevalent along with just what, what uh, parents expect from the educators? Yeah, I think entitlement um, is coming from a place of everyone's voice is to be heard in our culture now, right? Everyone's voice is is the most important voice and everyone's entitled to their opinions on everything and they have platforms to express those opinions everywhere. And so some of those boundaries that we used to have, just social boundaries with what's appropriate to ask for in a public education setting, what's appropriate to um, discuss um, 
what's appropriate to um, expect. Those things are now because it's 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 a consumer's market essentially with parents and the education system, and parents are treating us as if we are something other than public school. Um, and as public school, we're not private. So we have, um, you know, certain stipulations and certain guidelines and certain allowances financially and all of those things. You know, we are a public institution and parents oftentimes treat us as if they are paying us for um, educating their child. And so I think that's where some of that entitlement comes in. I think it's just the cultural um, norms now that we're seeing translate into education. Yeah. Um, and you also mentioned towards the end um, of, of what's changed is the expectation that is put on teachers. And I think this is probably, in my opinion, from an outsider's perspective. And, and mind you, I a little more context, like I you've you've been in the education space really since we, you know, when we first started dating, you were in college, but then when you know, when you got out, you immediately got a job. It was your first job. You graduated in May and had a job starting in August. So as far as our dating life and married life, you've always been in the education space. And even in the early days of your career, I really wasn't paying close attention to what was manifesting and, and what has transpired just with what you have had to deal with as, as a teacher versus like how it used to be when I was going through school in elementary school. And, and really from a standpoint of how they're equipping teachers today and, and let alone the expectations of what parents are putting on the teachers and, you know, probably depending on, you know, the, the school districts and, you know, states and, and everything else. But I think uh, from a national perspective, we see that teachers are leaving the field in droves. And I think that's a direct correlation why. Absolutely. I think there's so many hands in the pot trying to fix things from everyone's perspective. So the state is trying to ensure that we're making up for learning loss from COVID. The state's trying to ensure that we're, you know, giving adequate intervention to all of these kids. And so <clears throat> from the state's level, instead of allowing teachers to do what they were trained to do, um, they're inundating them with extra work of documenting these interventions, making sure that they're pulling um, certain kids so many times a week to provide this intervention. And this is what teachers were doing all along. But the more paperwork and demand that they put on the teachers, the less time they have to actually serve the student. So that's kind of from the state. And then from parents, you have... Well, and pausing on that, the reason why they have to do that is going back to point number one. I think the entitlement mentality that parents have in the education world with their kids. Would yeah. you agree? Yeah. I think it's kind of all connected. It's like everyone's trying to please someone else. And what it's doing is the the teachers are kind of the um, the person taking the beating from it all um, because everyone's trying to make sure that they're addressing the learning, addressing the student's social emotional health. And, um, and so, you know, teachers have these demands put on them from parents as well. What are you doing to ensure that uh, my student is, you know, recovering from their learning loss due to COVID? And, and the truth is no one was trained for a mass pandemic like that. And no one um, was prepared to come up with, well, I can tell you this, actually teachers, I think could have come up with a better solution for it. But 
instead of the state adjusting um, the expectations or saying, hey, we lost all this time of instruction, we're going to actually raise the bar and make state testing harder. We're going to, um, you know, have these teachers do these intervention acceleration programs that not only are they still having to teach everything they were teaching, but now they have to teach the stuff from the learning loss as well at the same time and perform higher on state testing. And if we don't perform higher on state testing, then we're going to send in some of our people from the state to um, come and assist them, aka more paperwork, which takes more time away from educating students. And then all this time, parents are, you know, all up in the conversations as well. And so it's just an unreasonable expectation on teachers. You want to know what this brings back memories. You want to know what my education and my parent involvement was with my mom and dad, when it came to a private Christian school in the middle of the woods, Louisiana, it was, Hey, Ian did this. Okay. Spank him. And I used to get yeah. spanked. Like I used to get spanked in elementary school, um, at a, at a private Christian school. And it was, it was, um, it wasn't, I mean, it, I mean, it, it hurt. I mean, it got spanked, but it was, it was one of those deals where like it was, so this is new to me hearing this. I say that story because number one, I went to a private school, graduated from a, a, a very large public school, but for the majority of my life went to a private school. And now I have Caleb um, and McKinsey in a, in a, in a private school. So they're not in the public school system right now. Um, but so my question is, it, it seems like a, a, a big problem or from what I'm hearing, or one of the, one of the problems really is the, the parent involvement or reaction and lack thereof of parent involvement. So from your perspective as a vice principal, how should, so this is what I do like about it. I have two questions. What I'll make a statement and have a question. What I like about the the school that my son goes to is they, 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 they say, Hey, look, the teacher parent um, relationship is a partnership. Right. Mm -hmm. And so um, my question to you is what would be the perfect form of partnership? Like how should the, the student or the the the, the son, uh, or I'm sorry, the, the mom or dad of the son or daughter be involved in the student's life, in the teacher's life, and in their education uh, as a whole. Does that make sense, that yeah. question? I think ultimately it comes down to accountability. Um, I think that you're always going to have parents who are more involved in the academic side of their student, you know, um, wanting to know why they got a B instead of an A or, you know, what they can work with their student on at home. You have those parents, but oftentimes you have parents who, um, our teachers do a fabulous job of communicating with parents. They send weekly newsletters out every week. They respond to parent emails within a day. Um, so our teachers are trained up to communicate with yeah. parents. Um, but oftentimes you will have situations where the teacher has emailed or called the parent multiple times um, to say, hey, your student is struggling academically right now. These are some of the things we're doing in class. These are some ways you could support them at home. Multiple attempts to call, and you don't hear from the parent for months on end. But then little Johnny gets um, not picked at recess for a game, Loses and their out of nowhere, this parent calls and rips my teacher a new one. Mm -hmm. And um, sometimes you even have parents saying, there's been no communication. You've never communicated with me. 
and we know that's not the truth. Random question. Mm -hmm. On don't 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 give a political answer. What percentage of parents, in your opinion, are involved enough in their students' education and lives that you see? It's a really hard answer to questions. Uh, answer question to answer. Yeah. Statistically speaking, um, it doesn't have to be exact. This is just more of a feel a of feeling. A, more of a feel than like a yeah percentage per se, but like give a percentage. Yeah, based on feeling. I probably could tell you more my opinion on the percentage of parents that I deal with who are in that last category that I spoke about. I think it's hard on the other side of it. You have parents who aren't involved at all and they will never contact you for anything. And then you have parents who are over-involved and that's a different kind of expectation on a teacher, you know, mm -hmm. getting multiple emails a week. Um, but I would say anywhere between probably about 20% around of the population are some of those parents who I might deal with that last situation we just spoke about. 15 to 20%. So they are, they, they're, they're, in, they're entitled, but yet they don't want to put any effort in with their, with their child's education and their, in their growth or anything like that. I think they're functioning honestly from a place of guilt is my personal opinion is that um, they don't want to answer the emails about the grades and about those things because ultimately that takes effort on their part. And if they answer it, then they're acknowledging that there's a problem, right? And so I think what happens is any chance that they can deflect or there's some situation where their student um, might have you know, been the victim of something, first off, oftentimes they don't ask questions, which that's an advice point to parents, always ask questions. Don't ever rely on the eight-year-old story or the 10-year-old story. You don't and say, right? Even yeah. my own children, there's yeah. lots of questions involved because- just, just slow down, ask questions first before you just assume that your kid is right. Yes. Absolutely. Little Johnny's not always right. And so I think it comes from a place of guilt. So they're trying to kind of make up for a lack of parenting yeah. when a situation like that happens by coming to the rescue and defending. But they don't want to deal with the minutia of daily hard work it takes to raise a child. Would you say that a lot of students or a lot of parents right now are expecting the teacher uh, to raise their kids just as they're expecting the pastor or the children's pastor to teach them about God or like they're raising, they're wanting the teacher, the responsibility is... Uh, you're here eight months out of the year, raise my, raise my child. Yeah, we, um, it's not uncommon for me to hear things like, I don't know what to tell you. We have the same problem at home. Deal with it. Deal, like figure it out, help us figure it out. Um, or, okay. um, we've had the comment, like you're the, you're the babysitter during the teacher's not a babysitter, but you're the babysitter during the day. So do what you need. We have had parents say to us, you know, things like, um, you know, yell, like pretty much giving us permission to do things we're not allowed to do like spank? in a yeah. school. Praise God, we need more of that in schools. <laughs> but, but then my, my thought is if you were actually doing that at home, then you wouldn't have that doing it in school. Wouldn't be in the situation. Literally, if not in. need double <laughs> spankings. Yeah. Um, which, yeah, that is, it's, 
it's crazy to me to hear um to hear and this is coming from this i want to make this point for the listeners this is coming from a school system that is one of the better in the country right well i know and i will say i don't think it's just school system related like this is a lot of these mandates are coming from the state. Yes. No, and, and well, let's let's use state, it as a state, yeah. right? Even a statewide, Texas is known for better public schools than most of the country. Yeah. So, I mean, if it's like this here, imagine what it's like in in other um, Louisiana. Yeah. I was going to say other uh, run uh, states. Uh, you. Yeah. Whatever. <laughs> Democratic run states. Um, I probably shouldn't say that's not nice, but it, it's true. It, it would probably um, is even is even worse. Union but states. Union states. That's a great answer. Yeah. Politically correct. Yeah. Well, I think one thing I have certainly seen and observed is just kind of a blanket statement of you know parents parents really honestly they don't know how to parent their kids as a whole, let alone uh, let alone school, because when they're home. They're just parenting them through the eyes of YouTube yeah. or an iPad. Yeah. I mean, we went to dinner the other night and it was we got a we got a chance to get away and, you know, do a little staycation without the kids and went to a nice steakhouse. Um, and it's family friendly steakhouse. So there's always, you know, kids in there and everything else. But I have never seen kids in there without iPads. Like they, because the, the mom and the dad and, you know, the friends, they just want to go have their own conversation. They want to eat their steak and drink their wine and they want their kids to be there, but their kids are just in the presence. Like <laughs> they're not actually present. Yeah. They have a, a like I, I, we walked back this one table, walking back to ours and it was, it was a big table. They were probably between, uh, it looked like there were three families. So six couples and then kids all around it big table all the kids there was probably six kids they literally all had a device they were all on a device so like you take that you combine it with what we're talking about here in the education space parents are lost and parents just think that somebody else is going to do the job of raising my kid and even if you have good intentions like frankly you know we do allow uh, our kids to have technology too when now we certainly limit it sure um, and we limit it when they do have it, we limit the time, but we also limit to what they can watch, which is very, it sounds very restrictive now, but you know, they used to watch that show, Mr. Beast and like all this other stuff. And like it, at, he turned at his dude. heart, like he yeah. completely turned and you know, the, the politically driven agenda that comes from that. So now it's essentially like Zach King and dude, perfect. Dude perfect yeah. So you take those, even though like those are very wholesome. Like they preach the gospel. They both preach the gospel on their show and they use their talent to do so, which I think is phenomenal. That's what everybody should do. We need to do perfect on the show. Would I would love to. That'd be great. We'll have to ask, uh, you know, her cousin, her cousin went to uh, high school with them. Oh, we got to pull that string. So we'll, we'll, we'll pull that. But, you know, even too much of that though, it's that instant gratification. Like, I'm just going to swipe. I don't like this video. I don't like, you know, I, I've already seen this video of dude. Perfect. Like I want to see this one. I want to see a new one. So it's like this constant, like dopamine hit that is just yeah. over. Have I told you about that recently? Random no. off. So I'm big. Um, I love marketing and, and the new, um, they're coming out saying that now YouTube will uh, take over uh, the entertainment space as far as TV goes, mm -hmm. and it's gonna be shorts. 
Mm. And they found out why. I, I read a whole article about it, um, that the 22nd hit of dopamine, your body absolutely loves. Yeah. And so it's these little shorts on TikTok mm. or, or, or YouTube, and it's something new, and it hits every time, one after the other. It's just hitting, and you love it and crave it. And it, it boggled my mind when I was reading. It goes, next time you're watching a sports program, see how often you check your phone. <laughs> and I caught myself like watching YouTube videos on, on how to make a hamburger, right, <laughs> while I'm watching TV. Yeah. And it was these little hits of like, it's so true. Yeah. yeah. And so they're actually, just to make your point, like they're saying that that in the next five to 10 years is going to be the new TV. So taking that, this is the world we live in. How has that, because you mentioned this a little bit, the technology side of it, how has that approach to life impacted the education space in terms of technology and like this, like constant, like, you know, yeah, antsiness, I guess, for lack of a better word. I think there's two parts to technology that have been really detrimental to the school system. And the first part is what you're talking about. Um, <clears throat> kids are so used to getting everything at their fingertips and it's not enough to watch a show anymore. You know, mm -hmm. when we were growing up, we'd sit down and watch a 30 minute sitcom, say by, yeah. by the bell, yeah. right? With commercials. With commercials. <laughs> um, you know, our generation of kids now, they don't even want to watch a show. Mm -hmm. You know, if I were to say no YouTube, like you can just watch a show, ugh, like they don't even want to do that because yeah. it's, it's not fast paced enough for them. And so these kids are used to getting um, just this hit nonstop from their dopamine, their dopamine hit, you know. And so when I first started teaching, we could do things where we were rewarding kids who had poor behavior by, you know, we do these little token charts. And if they get four tokens and we're really giving them to them very quickly, right? Oh, you got a token for sitting right. Oh, you got a token because you stood up and got in line. Oh, you got a token. And after the fourth one, they're working for a Skittle or a sticker or something, right? Mm -hmm. And so I've seen how over time, these kids don't give a rat's, you know what, about a sticker Bump or a Skittle, Skittle yeah. because it means nothing yeah. to yeah. them. Yeah. And sure. you can see it. And really with our little ones, you see it, our like pre-K and mm -hmm. kindergarten, first grade friends who come in and their little minds are so malleable at that age and they're getting that constant just hit. They cannot sit still in a classroom mm. and you can see it and you almost feel for them. Um, and there's so much research about technology and ADHD yeah. and anxiety and depression. And I know just personally as an adult, like there's times I have just like sat too long on my phone and I feel depressed. Yeah. I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah. that feeling. And I'll show you more of the videos that I send to Ian. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not really depressed after that. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, you know, it's just this. It's just this constant feedback loop of them getting reinforced, and we cannot match that in the school setting. Yeah. Um, we have times, you know, we've used an iPad as a reinforcer for like an, you know, an ac academic game or something. Sure. But we're like saying to the kid, okay, if you work for the next two hours, we'll let you have a five-minute iPad break. And they, like, think about that. They're getting... Jeez hours of iPad at night, that's not going to be enough to change behavior. So I think it's limiting our tools that we've always used because we have nothing to compete with. And, you know, when we try to partner with parents, that's one of the things I've really been trying this year is partnering with parents and saying to them, we're only going to see behavior change if we can tie this behavior chart 
to home. And I really need you, if he doesn't earn his stars for the day, I really need you to limit whatever that, I always say, whatever that big motivator is. 99% of the time it's an iPad, right? Or a video game. Um, And so, but what we see is that lack of commitment on the other side. And the parent will say, oh, absolutely. Yes, I will do that. I will do that. And we see no behavior change. So that tells me that it's not happening at home. What percentage of, so what's the grades you're, you're in charge K, uh, Pre-K all the way through fifth grade is. What what percentage of them have phones, do you think? I don't think the little ones actually have phones, but I think they have iPads. I think they have immediate access from the moment they get home. Now, that's not to say we have had some pre-Kers bring a phone and it's the board policy is you cannot have a phone on campus, pre-K, kinder or first at all. At all. Second through fifth can have it in their backpack, but they may not use it during the day. Um, it, Hold on. Can you use school at, or can you use your or phone older than fifth on, on campus? Yeah. Yes. As a yeah, it's kind of the lines are blurry and they've kind of gone backwards a little bit on some junior highs this year. But previously they could use it as a device to do schoolwork stuff. Oh, come on. And then it was available to every aye, aye, aye. you watch walked in a junior high cafeteria. Every kid's head was down the entire lunch period with their face in their phone. It so, was really depressing. So that right there, that's where I was going to take the conversation next. Jeez. Like the social impact, like we're we're teaching kids subconsciously how to not be a part of society yeah like just to completely isolate themselves and frankly that's what the devil wants the devil wants us isolated the devil wants to um to take that and now he can really target us in that moment but if you just look at because we're now seeing generations of of the kids who have been around and had technology at their fingertips they're coming in and that's ultimately like you look at like the metaverse and everything and how that was created it's like this fantasy land Mm -hmm. where they just put these goggles on and now they can go to a concert or they can go like hang out with their friend or, or do it like their metaverse friend who like now they just sit there and you know just hang out and it's like there's this lack of relationship that is there that I think God truly gave to us mm-hmm. to be a part of community and to be a part of relationship. And this is one of the demises of technology that is like stealing from yeah. society. Mm. Well, and I think that is another, you talk about burden on teachers. It used to be we primarily taught academics, and then we taught basic skills such as, you know, if the kid had never been in school before, this is how we line up and walk down the hall. This is how we get drinks from the water fountain. This is how we go to lunch. But now we literally have a curriculum that is building students' character in their in their core, which is great. I love it. However, it's because we see such a need because there is no character building in the home. So we're literally teaching- What are they basing that off of? Like- um, it's a program. And so there's like a different character trait each month. So not might be, based, I'm sure. Absolutely not. Yeah. not. We're secular. So yeah. it's, you know, it's, um, responsibility, it's mm-hmm. honesty, got it, got it. it's, um, loyalty, things like that. But it's now the teacher's responsibility to teach those things to the kids. Although the academic and curriculum side of things has not loosened on its like minutes per day that it has to be instructed. So you're basically trying to do the impossible. There's not enough minutes in the day. There's not enough staff to do it, but the expectation is there. And, you know- Have they compensated the teachers more? Minimally. I mean, we we never got in this profession for money, anyone, right? But when it becomes that the work is so far 
um, outweighing the reward of it because you can't just be with kids because you have to do all of these other things. That's why we're seeing teachers leaving. Yeah. Not to mention we are not having enough time to properly train teachers and prepare them to be successful at the job because there's such a shortage. So I really, you know, hope that the state wakes up and realizes that something has to change. Um, but unfortunately, my feeling and belief is that we're going to hit rock bottom before that happens. What does that look like? What's rock bottom? I don't know. Either enough staff or not having enough staff to function as a school. Uh, bigger classrooms. is Bigger first. classroom sizes, but you're going to lose more teachers. How big so, are they now? Um, we cap off at about 21 kids. Um, fifth grade doesn't have a cap, so fifth grade can get bigger. Um, what's, do you know what the state average is? I don't know what the state average is. Um, but I, I don't know. I don't, you know, there's all this talk about vouchers and things like that. And I do want to talk about that, but I wanted to hit on one more thing about technology before we moved on, because if you were to ask me, um, parent to parent, what is probably the biggest a piece of advice or the biggest thing that I have seen, um, it would be this. And um, as related to technology, as Kyle was saying, like not only limiting time, but limiting what they're actually looking at. Um, you know, I've had the advantage of going from high school down to junior high, down to elementary as the times have progressed. So I've kind of gone like backwards in age, but forward. forward in time, right? And so I've seen how things that used to be at an 11th grade knowledge level with, you know, just social and cultural things has now shifted to eighth graders, now shifted to seventh, now all the way down to young elementary. And so um, I just think it's super important for parents to know that having conversations with your kids, and I mean, not surface level conversations, I mean, deep conversations about um, things that revolve around a sexual nature, um, having conversations about pornography, having conversations about um, transgender, all of these things, they're going to be in your child's face at an extremely young age. And what age? So I have personally had to call parents of kids as young as first grade to tell them that their child has been watching pornography and they had no clue. And so um, I just think it's Jeez, so important to share that. And I've had multiple situations like that. So I think it's- but, And I think that's arguably, that's even outside of the public school because even if you're private, like, I mean, you see that like we've got- like Caleb is the only private kid in in the neighborhood, mm -hmm. and we've got now. I would like to believe that the kids that they're running around with, we know the yeah. families very well. Yeah, they're, but it just takes one kid on the street to be exposed to it, and now the whole block mm -hmm. is going to be Wildfire. potentially exposed to it, regardless of you know if the if the school has the word Baptist or Christian. Sure. Yeah, and I would argue even you know sometimes our more affluent families are some of those families we see with kids on technology the most. They yeah. just did something. I wasn't at the deal, but I saw it. It was getting so intense within the our school that they had the parents. Again, this is a private school, so obviously y'all can't do it there. But they had the parents pledge to not give their students iPads or phones. Mm. And so about 70% of the room, I mean, again, it's a they signed the pledge saying we're not going to give our student uh, a phone or a an iPad and what they did, they actually suggested the, the stuff that Caleb, the, the watch that Caleb has, that's a phone. All you can do is call or whatever on it, but the Gab watch. But um, that is mind blowing to me. I remember when I was first introduced to porn, I think I was 
12. Yeah. Almost a teenager. I was older. And it was National Geographic stuff. It wasn't even real. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Frankly, it was in the school library. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't even real. And it was like <laughs> Aborigine stuff. And it was just, and so like, but I'm serious. Like that's what, you know, and in the fact that I've like my baby who is seven years old, you know, has a, you know, potential to, to be exposed to that and looking that on a, on a, on a regular, you know, or it's just, I, I just can picture a little Oli and, um, Miss Smith, can I please go to the library? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was so, my exposure, right? That was when I, you know, I need I need to check out a book. But that's how it was. Book, yeah. You know, yeah. that's how it was when it was in. I mean, I, it was just it's it was not nearly as readily available or common. Um, I think the sad part too is it's 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 so like nonchalant now. Well, it's not. People are not aware of it, yeah. and I think I think the majority of people don't want their kids sure. looking at yeah. that stuff. Yeah. yeah, but they just aren't dialed in yeah. they're not paying attention they just they they're almost they're too naive they're yeah. too optimistic that oh that's not going to happen or the other side well they're going to be exposed to it anyway so what does it matter what age it is yeah. which is also detrimental but i think the market is targeting children oh absolutely oh, that's straight so, from the devil yes I when mean, that's that's not water boy's mama devil like no, that, that is, is like that's legit yeah. that's straight from the devil when they're playing these games that start as innocent games the they have formulated algorithms that just take a couple of simple clicks and to get them to a site and so um and you know when I'm talking about young kids being exposed, I'm also talking about young kids being addicted, mm -hmm. yeah, not just exposed. Yeah. And so um, I think it's really important that parents really take a look at that technology piece. Um, our our oldest daughter, um, and I'm really proud of us because we've stood really firm to this. And yep. it's it's hard in in the society and culture we're in. She does have a phone. Um, she's in eighth grade, but she does not have any social media. Um, now, I also think it's important, you know, we're going to have to have those conversations as she goes to high school. I don't think it's in their best interest to just keep them banned from it the entire time they're living under your roof, because mm -hmm. then when they leave, they have no idea how to appropriately handle it. Mm -hmm. um, but even if you look at all these social media sites, they even say that you should be 13 years or older to access social media. The secular world. The yes. secular the world, world says 13. Um, and I would say the majority, and I'm talking Christian, Christian families, the majority of their children have Instagram and TikTok by sixth grade. Yeah. Jeez. I want to I want to transition a little bit from that, but it's still kind of stemming from this this world that we're living in. Um and then also tying in the component of putting too much on teachers. So we've talked about a lot of the documentation and everything that we live in that, um, frankly, you know, teachers shouldn't have to deal with. But um, one of the things that was really eye-opening to me that was kind of like one of those one of those aha moments that I've had, and I just had it one day, um, and it was in the midst. I don't remember exactly which one. Um, it's unfortunate that we even have to say that, but it was one of the school shootings that had happened um, years ago. This is now years ago. Uh, I do remember, I mean, we were, you know, we did have, I think, I know we at least had one, maybe two kids at the time when I had this aha moment, but it was like, wow, that makes complete sense. It's what's happening now. Like when I was younger, you know, and I know you, you don't really relate to this because you, um, I don't know what the Louisiana schools were like, but Terrible. essentially, <laughs> that's why you were in private school. 
Um, but essentially it was like, anytime you had a kid that needed extra attention or extra help with like, you know, testing, whether or not they were like all the way to like the, on the autism side or on the spectrum or like even special needs, um, you know, something that's really common was dyslexia. They got the help that they needed right away and they got, um, you know, essentially kind of for lack of a better phrase, removed from the classroom, but they, they had a dedicated team of people that would really help them, which they arguably still do to an extent and depending on the needs and everything else. But more than anything, what is not really captured in the special needs realm is the mental health issue that we continue to talk about as a society. And the secular world, both sides of the political party, that when we think about school shootings and everything, they, you know, it, it inevitably does come to two things. It's gun control and it's mental health. Um, frankly, regardless of whichever side you stand on, where and why the mental health issue is becoming so prevalent is because they are expecting teachers to diagnose, to handle this, and to um, just mitigate the mental health issue that it, that is starting because of all these things we just mentioned and it is starting in, you know, pre-K kindergarten. Um, like so much where there's now a, a label that they use in, in the education space as, uh, they are like, it's, it's, I don't know if it's falls under special needs or not, but it's emotionally disturbed or ED. They call these, they, that's the label that they have for these kids. And it's kids who just, you know, they're not going to test like for autism. They're not going to test for dyslexia, but we don't know how to handle that. And, and the schools today don't have the right resources in place to be able to diagnose, to be able to really fully embrace and like from a counseling perspective, be like, tell like therapy, let's talk about what's going on like that that's just not even the case so i'm clueless to ed what is that what is it give me an example yeah, of what so, that looks like so dive into the yeah. so ed is basically just a blanket eligibility that could involve someone who has had a massive amount of trauma in their life and so they have high behaviors like you would think of just like kind of a punk you is know? it like, normally trauma related mm, yes and no um, you can also have kids as severe as they have bipolar already diagnosed at a very young age, which is pretty uncommon to get a bipolar diagnosis that young. Um, you can have kids. Yeah, you can have kids who um, are, you know, borderline personality. You can have kids who are major depressive symptoms. Um, but I would say, in my opinion, a lot of these kids do stem from some form of trauma. Um, but the school system is not equipped to handle those special needs. Nor should they be, right? Correct. Yeah. Like, like this is the point I'm making. Like, nor should they be exactly. uh, responsible for for whatever trauma that happened. And now you're going to diagnose, help, and and alleviate the 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 symptoms and and, and issues. But and in, and here's where I was going with this. Ultimately, it's like if you're if you're a parent. And you're like, oh, that's not my kid, which arguably is, I would say, majority of people. It's not, you know, my kid doesn't suffer from being ED or emotionally disturbed. The fact is they're in classes with mm -hmm. these kids that don't have this help. So they don't separate them. They don't separate them. And 
when a kid is essentially acting out or having an episode, um, you know, a lot of, in some cases they might have to clear the classroom. So they're taking away education Jeez. time from everybody else for one kid, one kid. And that's not the teacher's fault. That is, that's all they know how that, that, that at that point, they, that's all they can do because like legally probably too, right? Like they can't do much. Yeah. No. So uh, kind of speaking about special education as a whole, there's a problem not just with your emotionally disturbed, but with with all of your special need kids and the support that they get from the sense that, um, yes, there was a shift. I don't remember exactly what year that No Child Left Behind um, was issued, but basically that's what you're talking about. When we grew up, kids were pulled out for, um, you know, they were in an autism classroom or content mastery or something like that. They were always pulled out. So we didn't go to school a lot of times with kids with these higher special needs. Um, but after that bill was passed, it was to get kids back in the classroom. And I have no problem with that and I see the benefit of it because oftentimes those kids do need exposure. They're going to they're going to go backwards in their autism if they're just around autistic kids all the time, sure. right? So I see that where the problem in lies is staffing. Yeah. So they are not appropriately allocating money to hire to support these kids. When you have really high need kids, Honestly, some of them might need one-on-one -on -one support to function in a classroom to keep that learning environment one in which um, it's healthy. And because of the – we have a rise in special education and autism, and I have no idea why, so I'm not going to speak on that. But um, the problem is what we're doing is just overloading classrooms. What do you mean a rise? What does that mean? I've seen a huge increase in autism since I started. That are, that, that are, that are labeled autistic? Yes. Yes. And so um, it's not uncommon for a teacher to have 10 special education kids out of 20 kids in a classroom. Get out of here. I'm not lying. Um, not uncommon at all. And so you Jeez. may have one extra person. To help. To help, but not all day. They might be there 30 minutes in the morning and then 30 minutes in midday and 30 minutes in the afternoon for 10 kids for a whole school day. And then you're throwing in, like you might have autism, you might have an emotionally disturbed, you might have kids with severe learning disabilities all in one room with one teacher expected to still teach. And the curriculum continues to move forward. Mm -hmm. And this is this is the part going back to, this is why it's critical for the parents, even if, if, if your kid does not fall into that bucket, that you have to be involved, you have to reiterate the education, it's a partnership with the teacher because you don't know unless you're asking questions and you're completely dialed in how much time was actually taken away from teaching yeah. while the curriculum continues to advance. So let me ask you this from a, from a parent's perspective, um, like let's say I, I have a child that's in that situation. What can I do to remove him or her from that situation or to help alleviate the situation? Or am I just stuck like Chuck? Honestly, the best course of action is kind of all coming together and it's it's at the state level because it all comes down to funding. The district is given so much of an allocation um, financially per kid. So they pay per kid. It's like per head gets a certain amount of money, right? And so when funding is cut for education, that's what dictates staffing. So the district level might be little things like, you know, the head honchos at the top, maybe they're getting paid a little too much. 
but ultimately that funding is not going to touch, touch that. Really, yeah. It's really yeah. the state. It's the state's allocation to per student funding. How many more teachers you would you say you need at your school? Oh gosh. Um, it would be special education teachers. It wouldn't be, gen yeah. you know, I would say if we were able to have an additional, you know, five special education teachers, a couple mental health experts, and a couple of paraprofessionals, it could revolutionize. So um, between 10 and 15 total. Yeah. but yeah. And, and for context, she's at one of the smaller schools in our district, which is a very large district. Yeah. Like, so you multiply that across however many elementary schools. I mean, how many elementary schools are in our district? We're 45. 45. Toledo. I mean, it's, it's a, a big district. Yeah. It's a lot of money. That's just one district here in, you know, suburbs of Houston. I mean, there's other districts, you know, around just around Houston that are just as big that are also growing. Same thing around Dallas and Austin in every case. So you multiply that. Like, it's not just a small, like, yeah, let, let's, let's get 40 grand allocated for this. Like, it's got to be bigger and it's got to be drastic. Do you think... Um, so you're giving me a really good case to be a teacher one day. <laughs> yeah. If you're looking for a job, job, yeah. Listen to this. There are openings right now. I can pay you 50 grand. <laughs> well, do you think it's a, what are they doing in order to, for lack of a better term, farm people into the education space to do it? And do you think it would help if, Hey, we we're going to, we're going to incentivize by paying more. I would think it would have to help to say, Hey, we're going to pay you more because you're dealing with more. Um, and so, you know, it, when I was working in, in, for, for the man, it was, it was, Hey, I will do, you know, I, I'll do a lot more if I got paid more to do it. I think it would help. However, I think the mental health of our teachers is so impacted right now mm -hmm. because of the things they're having to deal with. It's not ultimately going to solve the problem. Do they have an avenue to go to someone? I mean, they can, um, you know, provided by, by the state, I mean, or the school, like, what do you mean? Go to someone like a therapist? Like, yeah. Like, like no. they're dealing with all this mess. They have no one to talk to, but hubby or, yeah. or, or little doggy Susie that's yeah. getting yelled at and you know, the yeah. dog's getting beat at night because they're dealing with these crazy kids. Right. I think the insurance, you know, the insurance may give you like the couple sessions okay. free. That's it, you Got know, it. but Jeez. going back to the emotionally disturbed situation, I think if you were to ask any teacher they would be able to tell you several kids and name names that would be likely to be a school shooter when they got older. Oh my gosh. And that is what's so terrifying is Jeez, teachers Teachers know. We see it, we know, we know the type, we know, but we don't have the services to provide the kids. So let me just kind of tell and, you what- And you can't like, how do you say it? Hey, your son's gonna be a school shooter one day. You need to get him help. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. What? So we have a counselor. We have one counselor and one licensed school psychologist. And how many kids? Um, 850. Hmm, pretty good odds. So let me tell you kind of what their roles are. So the licensed school psychologist primarily deals with diagnosing and evaluating students for special education. And like I said, special education is such on the rise. All of her time is spent evaluating kids and then sitting in ARD meetings where she is sharing the results of those evaluations. She maybe has a handful of kids that she gives direct services to, and it's like maybe 10 minutes every nine weeks. 
Okay. And then you have our counselor who she does more um, like classroom sessions. You know, like I'm going to go in and teach this whole class. She's tied to kind of those character traits I talked about earlier. I'm going to go in and teach this class about, you know, um, perseverance or I'm seeing holistically there's kind of some issues with um, some bullying tendencies on the playground. So I'm going to pull this group of kids and we're going to do a couple of sessions as peers, but she cannot provide one-on-one long-term direct therapy sessions. Mm -hmm. And even if she could, there's one of her and 850 students. So when you think about these teachers that support the other special needs, we do have, um, we have six special education teachers and five paraprofessionals. So 11 that service our special needs population. And we have about, we're close to 25% special education at our campus. And so you have 11 of those at least one kind of half of one for all these kids who are emotionally disturbed, not even really one. And so outside of providing like to the parents, here's some services you could look into. We're not paying for them, but here's some places you could go get your kid therapy. We have no way to support that kid other than having a plan in place of when they explode and become volatile. So it's, it's reactive more than proactive. We do some proactive things like calming techniques and de-escalation strategies and things like that. (laughs) That that, that doesn't do well. Yeah. No. So, you know, it's just- Johnny, take a deep breath in for me here, buddy. (laughs) As they're flailing around going nuts. As he's throwing punches at me. (laughs) Breathe, buddy, you know. She's some creeps. So look, this this has been really eye-opening for me. Um, Speak to the parents give two or three things of, okay, so I'm, a, I'm a, again, little Susie, little Johnny is in third grade in a public education. Uh, we want to be involved. We want to, we want to have, we want to do what's best for him, for the, for the teacher. Give us two or three things that they, it's not perfect. Cause I wouldn't say we're talking negatively about what's going on. I think we're bringing to light the reality. It's the awareness. Man. It's the awareness. Back to the awareness. Just like we talked about on our on a previous podcast when it came to, you know, the the different gods, right? Just being aware of yeah. what it is, right? It's the awareness, the reality of where we're at. So what can we do at home um, or even in the school? Give us two or three things that we can think positive and go, okay, if I do these two or three things, it may not be perfect, but it's definitely two or three steps ahead of what the norm is. Yeah. I think the very first thing is being empathetic. Um, we, you know, as parents hear some of these things, their their first reaction might be to like email us and say, can you tell me all the special education kids, people in my kids' classroom? And I don't want my kids with these kids. So be empathetic knowing that we are all killing ourselves to support your children. And um, our hands are tied in so many ways. Um, and so it really isn't at the school level majority. So having empathy. Um, and then I would say from there, being super aware of, um, first of all, district. So at the district level, when we have these um, board elections, when we have- It matters. It matters, y'all. Yeah. And you cannot vote based on your political party because technically they're not supposed to be tied to a political party, but- We've seen more and more of them kind of using that as a backing. Um, but just because you believe in a certain political party does not always dictate the person you want um, advocating for education. So be very careful with um, – because what they can do as board members is very different than like 
what the state and national level does for education, right? right? So you have to understand what their role is as a board member. Arguably what they do, what they vote on directly impacts your kid versus like the state and the federal decisions over time it might. But if the board puts something in place, like it's virtually it's immediate. Yeah. yeah. So paying attention to those things, paying attention to bonds. Um, I know – you know, those are tied to taxes and things like that. So you have to, you know, weigh what is better financially for you guys. But paying it, just being a part of your community that you're in. Um, and that's even if you're going to private school, you know, you still are a voter and, mm -hmm. you know, you need to support me. And so tell me who to vote for. I'm in. <laughs> um, but really just paying attention. Don't just go in and vote blindly. It's pretty easy to research. Um, if someone has never uh, been a teacher or been in education you or probably don't want to vote for or <laughs> has even had kids that go to this school district like what's the buy-in what's the goal what's the vision what's the motivation so i'm thinking about running <laughs> and my kid doesn't go. Yeah. don't vote for Ian. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, i'm implementing spankings day one <laughs> oh my God. day one paddles are coming yes. back baby there you go we're equipping everybody um, right. and then also i would say um at the state level and it's hard because a lot of the things that I believe in don't always align with a political person's stance on education. So it's tricky because it's not always um, everything, you know, I believe in all of these things sure. and that's why I would vote for someone, but I don't necessarily align with their education um, stance. I will tell you, we just had drastic funding cut for the state of Texas in education this year. Drastic. So um, it's dollars, you know. I don't know exactly. There was something it's coming to my mind, like, like 30 million. Like it was a, it was Stupid. like, it was a lot. Jeez. It was a lot. And it, again, it's all that like per kid, yeah. whatever, which has a domino effect on everything. Wow. Um, so paying attention to those things, you know, reaching out to, you know, I think we just don't do it because we're like, what, what's it really going to do if I reach out to, you know, TEA is the Texas Education Agency. What's that really going to do if I reach out to them? But if more and more people become aware, more and more people start standing up to these things, it can have an impact. And so um, I think society depends on our education. And That's really, yeah. yeah. So, Lindsay, where can they reach you as far as your email address? <laughs> no, no. Absolutely <laughs> not. What is you your personal lead so you can get? Absolutely well, not. Well, um, man, I'd, we could keep going on this. We've been talking for I a think while. It's great, yeah. I, I think this is this gives the listeners a lot to, to, to just go off of, to think about, to process. And I think we exposed some things that um, that really needed to be exposed. And like we talked about, not in a bad way, it's just exposing for an awareness yeah. and coming from that lens. Um, but I do, um, like when I see you and, and talk or hear you talk about it, like I, I am impressed. I am very impressed. And I just want to commend you for that because I think I've seen you in action. And I was actually telling somebody else this. I don't remember who I was talking about, but... Um, I think you were, you were born to be a leader. You were, you're, you're in your calling mm -hmm. and I, and I firmly believe that. And I want to just make sure that, that I say that, um, uh, and I've seen the impact and the influence that you have just with your, with your employees and, you know, everything else. And, and I think there's obviously there's, there's greater things and you know what we've talked about with that, but, um, I think, uh. I think Ian actually had something as well that he wanted to say. We'll probably do it off air. 
Okay. Yeah. Uh, it's one of those. Yeah. <laughs> oh, nice. It's good though. It's good. But um, yeah, I mean, I just, I love you and I'm just, um, I'm so impressed by your, your passion and the way that you do lead. And I know that you're, you're also a very hard worker and you're ultimately, you're, you're, you're still a mom and the topics that we talk about at hand are, um, are important for you from that standpoint too. And I think other people need to pay attention as well. That's great. So. Thanks. It's awesome. Love well, you. Will you uh, lead us in prayer to close? Sure. Father God, thank you so much for this opportunity, Lord. Thank you for um, just picking the words for me to share, God, so that um, every person listening to this, Lord, um, just has something new to think about, God. Um, I pray that parents, I pray that teachers um, who hear this, Lord, just feel um, comforted knowing that um, the educators truly have their kids at the front of their mind at all times, God. And when they leave that school building, they're still thinking about those kids and all of the things that... Um, that they want to do for them, Lord. And God, I just ask that you would provide resources, God, because ultimately that's what this comes down to is being able to support these kids even better, God. And mm. Lord, I just pray that you would make a breakthrough in education, um, just specifically in the state of Texas, God. And I just pray that um, eyes would be open to the implications of um, what education means to society and, and where that um, might lead to if we don't take it more seriously, God. And um, Father, I just pray for all of the kids in my school building, God. I pray for the teachers. I pray for the other administrators, Lord. I pray, God, that you would allow us to be your hands and your feet, Lord, um, to kids that that don't know you, God, because ultimately that's why I do what I do, Lord. And I just um, thank you for this opportunity to share. I thank you for this podcast, Lord. I thank you for um, just the commitment and um, just the ability to communicate so effectively from Ian and Kyle, God. And um, yeah, we just ask all these things in your name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope that you feel encouraged by today's episode. Help us reach the masses by leaving a review and subscribing to the show. We'll see you next time.